0: A quick fact before we get into today's episode. There are less than 10,000 Bilbies left in Australia. 10,000? I'd no idea it was so few. Which is why I'll be buying a bright pink Darrell Lee milk chocolate Bilby this Easter. The good folks at Darrell Lee will again donate 20 cents from every deliciously smooth and creamy milk chocolate Bilby sold to the Save the Bilby Fund. So do your bit and buy a Darrell Lee Bilby for mum. Buy one for the kids. Buy one for your Uncle Steve. And help this cute and very important Australian animal survive for decades more. You can't miss them. Just look for the bright pink Daryl Lee Bilby and Woolworth stores right across Australia, which is where I hope we see many more Bilbies in years to come. Daryl Lee makes it better. You're listening to a DM podcast. Welcome to The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. As an author, adman and theologian, I've always been interested in people's stories. Not just those with a high profile, but people from all walks of life, regardless of fame, which is why I created this show. Each guest who takes the 5 of my life challenge chooses a favorite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. It's amazing what you can learn when discussing someone's five choices. I hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as I enjoy making it. Jamie Durie is one of Australia's most successful exports. Best known for his work as a television host of over 50 different design shows around the world, his work with Oprah and his successful horticulturalist and design businesses, Jamie's story is all the more fascinating because of the mid-career pivot he took which radically changed the course of his work and life. His generous openness and wholehearted commitment to the spirit of the show made for a wonderful conversation. So thank you, mate, for coming in in the middle of a building. Oh, uh, unbelievable.
1: It's my everyday stuff, and I, I enjoy it, actually.
0: And, and, and so, so you're not living on site? No, no. no, no, I no. Don't,
1: I don't, I'm living at the end of the street, actually. we're right. Amika and I have been renting there for, oh, God, almost three years now. Right. We've had two babies in that house. Good on you, And I've got to say, it has been a much longer- more excruciating process than I'd ever imagined uh it's put the two of us under enormous pressure right plenty of complaints from neighbours and all that good stuff you know building a house in Sydney is like that but we're through the hard part now and and we're you know I guess a third of the way into the build and and things are running really really well and it's exciting just to finally get moving because it was this was three years of planning right yeah it's, it's excruciating.
0: I, I saw a clip of you uh, from your wonderful new show that's coming up. Uh, and you're talking to your builders about something. And someone goes, dickheads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The,
1: the interesting thing about that is that, unfortunately, here in Australia, we do have this thing called tall poppy syndrome. You don't get that in America. I worked in America 12 years. And not once did you ever get any of that sort of stuff my neighbours wouldn't have any idea what it is we're building, right? They just see that, you know, we're potentially creating a lot of mess and, you know, um, building a big house. And I I don't know, it's frustrating, but I know in the end everyone will be so happy with what's... I even got a letter last week from one of the heads of planning from Northern Beaches Council who's now moved on to another position and he said, Jamie, this will be a landmark project. You know he said I I, I I take my hat off to you both from an environmental point of view and from a design point of view um, this will be a benchmark and and you should be very proud of it and it was so nice to hear that from him because yeah. he was the one assessing our plans for two and a half years yeah it was really great to, to get that note he didn't have to send that you know yeah. it was nice we should get to your first
0: choice and yes mate you have chosen the Brad Pitt family epic Legends of the Fool. Oh, yeah. yeah. So tell me <laughs> about that.
1: Well, I've watched it a few times. It's I, I, sort of, I love going back to it because I relate to it in a lot of ways because when you watch it again, it teaches you not to hold on to things that have happened to you in the past or things that are out of your control or beyond your control, right? It teaches you to let go, you know, and... And Brad's character, Tristan, lived with this guilt that that he hadn't gone to war, and his brother had died because he didn't, and and his father resented him for it, and his his brother his other brother resented him for it, and and he never really got over that. Right? It was this anguish that he lived with for his whole life, and it's sort of like it, it lays out your life in front of you and goes here's what could happen if you don't learn to let go. Right. You know, and 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 I love to watch it again to remind myself not to hold on to the guilt from the past or things that are
0: beyond your control
1: so that you can actually see the future.
0: And are, are you good at that? Are you good at letting go or do you have to work at it?
1: I've got to work at it. Right. I think everyone has to work at it. I, I think you'd be a robot if you didn't. Yeah. Right? I mean, really, we we all have to continually maintain... Uh, ourselves and and be the the best version of ourselves that we can be. Yep. But um, we've all got our stuff, right? Yep. So I think it's nice to check in on a regular basis and go, oh, sh- have I let go of that yet? Oh, God, I haven't, have I? Still got that chip on my shoulder. Off I go. Let yep. go, Jamie. Move forward. Let's focus on the future because you've got a lot to achieve and a lot to do and, and
0: you need to be really focused if you're going to get where you want to get to, you know? So, so the narratives that we tell ourselves we choose them there is a narrative for you there's a whole host of different options I mean for me I could go "Oh, woe is me I was sent to boarding school at five in a different country or you can say well I'm really lucky I had loving parents i got a beautiful wife and you know you can choose the the stories that you you tell yourself but watching that film in your honour A I thought God Brad Pitt looked good he oh, was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, a, he's a beautiful specimen, yeah, is he? God, <laughs> he was looking good. Um, but it made me want to ask you uh, how many siblings have you got? One. That's Chris, is it? The brother? Yes. Older or younger? Younger, he's an architect. He's in the architecture. Ah, okay, era, yeah. similar guy. So, mm. so the, the for, for listeners who haven't seen the film, it, it, I mean, I'm I'm summarising here, but it's three brothers, and they all fall in love with the same woman, mm. and there's lots of you know guilt about oh my god, have I taken a crack at my brother's wife and this and that and oh my oh, god, yeah. Yeah. right? So, a couple of questions about the film. That the first is. What's your sibling dynamic? How how has that played out? I, I wouldn't apart from you now telling me he's an architect. When you were young kids in Tom Price, were you always competitive, or was he the big bro? Well, oh,
1: um, <laughs> yes, is the answer. We've always been competitive, I think, um, or I have at least. I can remember uh, us taking a pee on the side of the road in the middle of the Nullarbor when my father was driving me from driving us from Tom Price uh over over east which we used to do each christmas um but you know we were kind of raised on red dirt and powdered milk in in a mining town called tom price and my brother was born in parabadu and um it was a pretty humble existence my mother learned how to grow roses in the desert out there in the outback and and uh and i can remember my dad chasing around a brown snake in his underwear with a shovel so yeah. you know there's lots of great memories there and and um I I think I've d- uh, built a deep connection with Outback Australia for yep. for those 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 in those foundation years, uh, but I do remember creating spears and all sorts of things, and uh, I used to play a lot around with weapons
0: and things. And, w- with Chris or on your own? Or-
1: well, I, no, on my own. And I remember throwing a spear, which unfortunately went through my brother's arm, uh, and he had to be carried off to the hospital with a spear through his arm. I don't think he ever really forgave me for that. <laughs> um unfortunately we don't talk a lot these days. We oh, um okay. which is which is unfortunate, but um you know, we've both moved on and he's got he's got certain beliefs that I'm not on par with and okay. and, and and that's that's his choices and Right. Yeah, so it's a bit sad, but um we had a, we had a great childhood and and yeah.
0: Uh, sorry, I, I didn't I didn't know that I, I, I probably wouldn't have asked if I did. Um, okay. Is your dad because the the film Legends of the Fall it, it, it's a father going uh, off to remote area with his three sons. Yes, I, I read that uh, mum and dad got divorced at ten. Mm. How do you think that has informed? How was that for you? I know it's your it's your reality when you're ten. It just is life. But looking back, how has that potentially informed your views, behaviour, attitude? Ah, uh, look, I think. And have you got We're a relationship with him? Did he go I've and then disappear or, or did you with stay with my father? With your dad? I've got a
1: great relationship right. with my dad, yeah. He's at the house every second week. Right. Uh, he lives here in Sydney and right. um, and we catch up for a Sunday roast, you know, every second. And he's, a, he's a great man. He um, served our country for 12 years in the Air Force. Right. My mother was also in the Air Force. My cousin was an F-111 um, pilot. I'm probably the only one that wasn't in the Air Force, although I hear I was made... Uh, on an air Force base in penang <laughs> i um, don 't want to hear <laughs> after after a bottle of bourbon with a monkey in the room which might which which right. may uh, you know unleash a few uh, <laughs> ideas in your mind of where it all happened but um now dad dad 's a great man and we 've got a really great relationship and uh
0: yeah, I, I think if I can be half the man my father is, I'll be I'll be very happy. Oh, I, I, I love it when people say nice things about other people. I should have asked about your dad, not your bro. But there you go. <laughs> but, but, but hopefully, after this, you're going to get on with your bro. Uh-huh. Um, we're going to move to your second choice, which makes me laugh because, in your honour, I read 700 pages of uh, <laughs> Jeffrey David Roberts Shantaram. And what listeners need to know is, barely 40 minutes ago, the <laughs> jury called me and said, "Can I change my book?" And I said, "You
1: are." Are bloody uh, kidding me <laughs> <laughs> I think you called me recalcitrant which i which, which I, I, I took on board as, as as a bit of a compliment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what we're going to do for the <laughs> Sorry, mate, but it's a bloody good read, isn't it? Oh, it's a great read. Hey. It's a, it's a great read. Um, but what we're going to do for the first time ever on Five My Life, yes. because you are who you are, special oh, no. special privileges. Don't give me any favours. Well, well, I'm going to. I'm going to talk about Shantaram, because yes. I've got a couple of questions, because I read the bloody thing. Uh, and <laughs> then you. we're going to talk about the book that you actually, 40 minutes before the interview, wanted me to talk about instead. So, well, I, why I, did you choose Shantaram?
1: Look, uh, for me, it was, again, it's one of those It's one of those books that I go back to at yep. various times in my life. What Shantaram t- taught me, because, you know, he's, he's, for those of you who haven't, you know, read the book, and, you know, he obviously dealt heroin, got busted, um, you know, got locked up in an Indian jail for... Um, years and years and years in life and and then and then happened to escape and and it's it's a, a great story but it's a story of redemption right and he then spent i guess the rest of his life giving back to the poor helping out the community who helped him and harbored him finding a way to uh, make up for his sins, if you like. And 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 that was his form of redemption, right? And and I guess uh, I related to that in a lot of ways because he didn't want to be known as the heroin addict, right? In the same way that in my professional career, I don't deserve to be known as a stripper. But we all know that was, you know, the first few years of my working life. And, and I started uh, at the tender age of 16, and left home when I was 15, and, and off I went. I was in Las Vegas and all over. And, and it's funny how often it still comes up, and they were the greatest years of my life. I mean, get, don't get me wrong. As a 21-year-old boy, you know, travelling the world and, and, and uh, in, a, in a beautiful, big Broadway show, and uh, it was great fun, and I loved it. And, it and, and I think, you know, travel has been, for me, the university of life. Uh, I then came back and studied horticulture for four years and sort of did other things but I I guess I carried that with me in barking into my career and I have done all I can do in in my my career to date and and will continue to to be known for other things than, than just what defi- what what the public defined me of in those earlier years. Yeah. So, so
0: I have to say, and I, I don't want to blow too much smoke up your ass, mate. But is you've done a really good job at that because I, coming fresh uh, to to you, because we, you know, I'm 60 years of age. I've never, you know, never met you, never any, had any communication with you, yeah. uh, and then invite you on the show. I mean, weird coincidence. Invite you on the show. You say yes, and then literally the next week, I sit next to you. And your beautiful family at a restaurant. <laughs> how, how, how weird was that? It was bizarre. Re- okay, Jamie. Oh, uh, abs- right. Amika. <laughs> hello, you the, wow. The weirdest thing. I but, know. But, but, and and the, the kids were
1: pulling the Sri Lankan curry off the <laughs> table. Did you see <laughs> that? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but, but the thing is, so investigating you, hopefully you'll be pleased to hear this, it doesn't actually come up. If, if you if you came from Mars, yeah, and you never right. heard of Jamie Jury, yeah. right? You you get your wonderful work, your environmental work, your design, your architecture, your garden. You you, you don't actually get. So, so if you keep digging, you'll get manpower, but you actually yes. don't get quite. You don't get a lot of it, yes, right? So I I don't know. I imagine in nineteen ninety three, that's that's what it would be. So there's a story. This is I've just honestly the media. God love them. Where Marianne Faithful, that there there is a story, whether it's apocryphal or not, where in nineteen sixty nine there was a drug bust. In Primrose Hill, and she was going out with Mick Jagger. And and the police were all very, very happy and and leaked it to the Sun that they found a Mars bar where potentially, usually Mars bars aren't kept. Uh, uh, Yeah, indeed. And so that's the Marianne Faithful. uh, um, Is that right? That's right. Anyway, Mm -hmm. whether it's true or not, she is then launching her 27th album in Australia in 2017. And the first question the journalist asked is, so Marion, tell me about the Mars bar. And you go, for the oh love of for the love God, of God I'm know. a talented artist.
1: <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, I know. And, and you know, for, for I guess for, for the first 10 years of my career outside of that, that was the first question that most journalists threw out there because, you know, they didn't really have a whole lot else – to go to, yeah. So yes, I worked, and have worked, and will continue to work really hard. But also, I've learned that um, you don't necessarily have to prove anything to anyone, right? If you're happy enough with with what you've put forward in life, um, you should feel really good about your
0: day. I love what you're saying. Where I actually think, if you do what you've done, then the thing that you might not want as your calling card actually becomes really, really impressive, if you own it, right, over the years. So there's an actress, I forget who she is, but who started on Home and Away and now she's a Hollywood A-lister, right? Yes. And when she's, there's one actress who goes, oh, oh, stupid show, I had to do it, blah, blah, blah. And you go, okay. This actress goes, yeah, I loved Home and Away, fabulous experience. you go, yeah, "Yeah, great, it's part of you. It's like the barrier reef, you lay down layers, you go, well, I'm looking at a very successful business person and TV host and author, and you go, yeah, it makes you more interesting, more admirable. Bloody hell! There was a successful thing. You, you you weren't you weren't like a useless bloke in in Wollongong RSL None cracking it out to twenty. But you were you were top of your game. We so, were the first Australian cabaret act
1: to ever get a residency in, in, uh, yeah. on Las, Ve- Las yeah. Vegas Boulevard, and I, you know, and we were playing to audiences of. 8,000 people in South Africa in Sun City, all all of them women, of course, most of them. Um, But it was incredible. I got to meet Bishop Desmond Tutu and did charity events in Africa over there with him. The amount of people I met, and I must have worked in, I don't know, I think we were averaging about 18 countries a year for nine years. So I really did get to see the world through different eyes. Dated princesses and all sorts of things, and just yeah. you know, lived in Manila, Manila for a little while, and worked in Taiwan and uh, Japan and New York and France and Spain and England. Played the West End theatre in London, yeah. and in excess went on after us. And, I love it, and and then you know, had a few beers with Michael Hutchins before he passed. God rest his
0: soul. You know, it was these were great experiences so, that uh, I will never forget. I, but there's something which. <sighs> I, I got this to my shame. I, I once was. I won't mention her name. She's a gorgeous lady interviewed by a, a daytime telly person, and I was internally, secretly, to my shame, being a little bit uh, judgmental. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I wasn't telling you. I'm just thinking. Yeah. Phew, yeah. Yeah. Right. And met her, and she was incredibly professional, intelligent, yes. nice, welcome, and I felt such shame. Yeah. Right? Is the truth is doing anything well is actually admirable it's not it's, it's yeah. it, mate i couldn't dance for 1 minute and women would ask me to you, you know to stop right yeah. it's, it's to do anything that gets i mean national let alone international success yep. forget what it's in yep. that's incredibly yep. successful and then actually what it's in that's pretty fucking clever as well so yeah. so i i i think the time for uh, i mean you're not the you hide it i mean i i, I think it's a fantastic yeah. part of your of your erve. It's thank you.
1: Yeah, it's. I I think you you bounce off those things in life, right? And they catapult you into other areas. And that's what happened with me. Yeah, Uh, I can remember when I came back to Australia and I started studying horticulture. Went back to to college for four years, and um, and uh, and I, the the first headline, when um when I came out of that was. Uh, from hot pants to pot plants. Oh, and, tell me about
0: the bar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know
1: what? <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's I, I, it's it's a part of my life, and a, and it's and it's enabled me to really catapult into a whole different and and use what I've learned as an expert as a landscape designer uh, in positive ways. Yeah. You know, I knew back then, living in hotels in all sorts of strange countries. I knew back then I was suffering nature deficit disorder. And I think a lot of people go through that, right? And I I knew that I wanted to work in a creative field because I was designing with huge lighting shows and pyrotechnics and stages, costumes and uh, stage sets and things. And I thought, well, if I can use this same design expertise in a positive way for the environment and and use an ever-changing object like a plant um, to design with, wow, wouldn't that be a skill? And there weren't many people around back then doing it. Um, there were only a handful uh, 25 years ago. So I started up this little business called Patio back in 1998. And who knew that it would um, it would go
0: on to employ 170-odd people around yeah. the world? Yeah. Fantastic. I'm going to bring you back to uh, Shantaram yes. uh, because the bloke goes off at the end to Sri Lanka. Yes. <laughs> Which is not irrelevant given, A, I bumped into you in a Sri Lankan restaurant and, B, that is your heritage. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um,
1: so my grandmother uh, was born in Kandy, grew up in a in a rice plantation. My mother was uh, born in uh, Gaul. And my grandmother and grandfather uh, were both in the Air Force and they met in Sri Lanka. He was sort of doing a bit of work with the... Um, intelligence Bureau, and off they go, and 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 so for me, going back to Sri Lanka, I did a I did a documentary with um, Jeff Jantz many many years ago, and uh, it was called Jeff and Jamie's Sri Lanka, and it was so fantastic going back to visit my mother's house, seeing where she came from. I do feel a deep connection with 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 Sri Lanka and the tropics and the food and so forth, and so you know, and, and I. When my grandmother first came out to Australia, black as, and my grandfather was white, um, English, and, you know, she used to get spat at in the street. And oh. There was all sorts of things happening back in those right. days and, and suffered a whole lot of sort of discrimination when she first came out, and that was back in the day. And I think, you know, she rose above adversity and ended up having her own little TV show on Channel 9, would you believe? She used to do uh, cooking classes with her curries. She then went on to be a floral designer, um, and she did wonderful things with her life and her career. She passed too young, unfortunately, with a brain aneurysm, but... um But God, she was an amazing woman, and it did inspire me a lot. And I've always felt a very, very deep connection
0: to Sri Lanka. Oh, fantastic! Let's talk about the second book.
1: If you're going to uh, wrap
0: me over the knuckles publicly,
1: we better we better at least um, okay. Go go for your life, jury.
0: It's called Long Path. Our future needs an antidote for short termism, which is hilarious. Given you called me up to change it, I I know,
1: (laughs) I know, I know. But um, I couldn't not share this read with you and and the listeners because to be honest it's it's kind of everything that i'm i'm chasing right now right yeah. i mean this is this is about uh, it's the anti-note to short termism and it's about tackling problems that are bigger than you and and bigger than things that will be solved in just your lifetime right and that doesn't just go towards climate change and the environment and so forth, because it will take a few years to fix that. But it's about contributing everything you have today into your life in a very selfless way in order to create a better future for people when you are not around.
0: I, I, that's a fabulous message. Uh, honestly, I,
1: I watched the TEDx. I watched yours too, by the way. Yeah. It's helping me with my time management already. But I watched the TEDx and I was like, Wow. That is so on the money right yeah. now. You, you, you listen to anyone that's come from a place of adversity and they'll have something wise to see, to share with you, right? Um, but I think this long path is something we should all be striving for. And ironically, that's that's been the driver behind this new show that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, you know, For me, Growing Home is how do I build the greenest possible house I can possibly build? And how do I bring on board... Um, a range of like-minded individuals who can help me achieve this. And it's a quest, right? And if I'm going to do a show about building a greenhouse, then I'm going to turn the cameras on myself first and my own family. And we are going to practice what we preach. And we are going to suck up the high interest rates and the the increased building costs and all the stresses and the turbulence that goes with it because I think – When you start to look at a house that's powered with geothermal energy and solar panels and and all the other great stuff that's available to us now, this is how we should be building houses for the future. After our home, I want to I want this to continue on for many many years, and and I hope someone else takes over the reins and hosts this show, and continues to just like Grand Designs, this is kind of like the eco version of Grand Designs because yeah. everyone's got their own version of building a their best version of a green home with what they can afford and the resources that are available to them, right? Yeah. And if we all did that, like, for instance, everyone in Australia should have a rainwater tank. Yeah. Everyone in Australia should have solar panels on their roof. If each of us just did that one little thing, the the magnificent impact that this would have on our natural resources would be incredible. But we're 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 such a long way from that right now. But but there's this massive interest in interest in eco tech and technology and, and and it's such a fast moving pace that in the last three to five years, I have met so many inspirational people who are doing great things in the environmental space. I want to put them on camera.
0: Right. I want to show this journey, and that's what the long path is about. I, I can't wait to read it. That there's uh, I've had a couple of interesting conversations recently. Um one With the person who's talking about solar paint, yes, holy moly! Yes, you go, Wow, we can paint. I mean, we can't yet, but you're working on being able to paint things, um, that 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 generate the, the, energy, the, yes, and there's some photovoltaic really little, right.
1: little ball bearings that sit within the the paint and it absorbs energy, yeah, and and harvest energy Mate, into you battery your battery systems.
0: because the other person was talking about
1: wearable solar. Oh, same you go, thing.
0: whoa. So my hat Yeah. Y- you know, you go, this is a ama- so, Yeah, right, so saw-
1: and I I drive an electric vehicle, Drew yeah. drew, drew, drew one in today as well, and um, it helped me get here a little bit quicker, <laughs> which is why I was only twenty <laughs> minutes late. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but but you know, th- now with our house, we are plugging our our E V yeah. into the house and the house charges the car through the solar panels, and then the car becomes a backup battery system for the house and charges the house as well, right? I mean, people are coming out of the woodwork with this amazing stuff now. Um, We've all got to think more responsibly about the way we're building our house, our houses, and and the impact that we will have and our future generations because this house, trust me, will be around for hundreds of years.
0: But the important thing is... Get your wife and kids in by Christmas mate. Oh no, She's I know. She's waited don't know, don't too worry.
1: long. <laughs> she reminds me every day. <laughs>
0: Now we're moving to your third choice, and uh, on Five My Life, every one of my guests' songs gets put on a Spotify playlist, mm. which is sensational because obviously it's incredibly diverse. Uh, now Chris Martin of Coldplay wrote five songs for Gwyneth Paltrow uh, in his in his life and relationship yep. with her, uh, and you have chosen the one that he wrote for her after her dad died, "Fix You." Try.
1: For me, Fix You by Chris Martin Coldplay was a bit of a wake-up call. And look, it's no secret that I've had a string of relationships, um, been engaged a few times and and uh, finally now with an amazing partner and, and have two beautiful kids. Um, but it took me a while to get it right. And for, I guess... Uh, for a lot of reasons, I was choosing people that I felt I needed to fix.
0: Ah, they weren't choosing you to fix you. You were choosing them to fix them. Yes,
1: I I think we both found common ground. I went through some sexual abuse when I was young. Some of my partners did as well. And funnily enough, you don't talk about that on the first date. No. But there's a reason you come together, I think. Right. And in a lot of ways, I guess, you, you try to fix the person you're with, but actually... <laughs> it's it's your own issues you need to work you're projecting for, yeah. yeah that you are projecting right and and that song for me that's what I take from it right? right I and and it wasn't until I'd sort of started to do the work on myself yep. um and started to own my childhood and some of those things that had happened to me um, after the divorce that I started to go oh hang on a second the real issue here is me right how do I s- take a few steps back process that. Then go forward and accept anyone that you're with moving forward in your life from this day onwards for all of their imperfections and perfections and love them, you know, without judgment, effortlessly love them. Yeah. You know? And so, um, so it's certainly that song really came about in a defining time in my life, in my 30s, uh, when I knew I had to make some significant changes if I was going to settle down and have a family. Right. And, uh, and it, they were great words and it's a beautiful song and I still listen to it to remind myself of some of the fixing that needs to go on within yourself. Yeah. And, and it's not until you, you, you do that work that you can then be free to be with uh, and find the goodness in anyone that you're with.
0: That, that is one of the most touching stories on Five My Life. Uh, around a song choice we've ever had, and, and thank you, mate. Mm. Gosh, uh, therapy? Did you do therapy? Yes, of course. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and how? I mean, I, I've I've never done therapy because I am scared. I've got it all. <laughs> I, I, Have seriously. you got it all sorted? No, no, no. I, uh, <laughs> I, no, no. All, all, all um, under the carpet.
1: Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah so, yep. so for me, it's, I did that repre- for plenty of years, it's repression, mate. mate. We, we blokes
0: love to do that, yeah, but I'm trying to get through to the grave <laughs> with, with it still locked up, right? Right. right. So, 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 and, and, and with I'm, noble of you to say. Well, well, I'm I'm terrified that that someone I I'll go to the therapist and and they will uncover all the deep issues that I've got. I, yes. I've got no, I've got them battened down yeah it is I, I hear awful stories about therapists and i hear wonderful stories did you land on one that immediately was this woman or man gets me or did you have to go through a few to get someone who was helpful?
1: Uh, i went through a few oh um when i was in the u.s i was seeing a lady in new york who was fabulous i then found someone here in sydney who who was amazing and um ironically an ex new yorker as well right <laughs> Yeah, she really helped me lay it all out on the table. Yeah, process it, deal with it, uh, and enabled me to really move on and and kind of you know, not bury those
0: things under the carpet so to speak. Yeah, uh, and then your your romantic history you were saying it's not a secret and apologies if i don't i don't read the the celebrity mag so i i am not up on it <laughs> is is are you is it the e word engaged or the N word married have, have, have we're you, we're engaged at the moment yeah. and, and is is there a date or are are you there is a date Yes. Uh, do we know it, or is that a secret? Uh, no, no. We,
1: well, we haven't publicly thrown it out there, but, but uh, uh, for you, guys, maybe I will. Well,
0: well, don't mention it unless you because <laughs> there are a few thousand people that listen to this. I mean, we can edit it out of you. Well, when is it? Is it this year? Well, or Well,
1: we've, we've, you know, poor, poor Amika has, you know, she's been pretty much pregnant the entire time <laughs> I've been with. Her. So you know, we've. Um, she's just given birth to two. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. babies. Um, you know, Bo and Nash, I just adore. And they have really changed my life yeah. and changed and, and added a lot more meaning to what it, what it is I do. I think everything changes. Um, and, you know, I've, I've also got an amazing daughter in the U.S., uh, Taylor. Taylor. Yep. Um, and uh, I think we learned a lot off each other as well. She's an incredible girl. She we just had a birthday the other day, and we had lots of FaceTime with the kids, so we've all got a great relationship. I, I think Amika just wanted to wait for the dust to settle, yep. uh, before we planned a wedding, uh, which we're in the process of doing now. So, yes. and, and have you? I mean, you, you can't it's
0: like you can't ask a woman their weight. You can't ask a a, a person if they're, they're they're done or not. But I'm going to. Are you done, or are there more kids, more ju- little jury ets coming along? <laughs> Well,
1: it's funny you say that. Uh, no, this no, is the pregnancy no, reveal. No, no, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> God, there's a lot happening on this show, isn't there? <laughs> um. We've loved, you know, having these two babies together. Of course, Amika does a lot of the hard work yeah. um, in the birth, and all respect. I was in the room both times, though. And, and I, di- I did pull both of them out. Right. Rather You're not like claiming pull-
0: credit, are you, man? No, not at all. But, <laughs> but
1: not unlike pulling a turnip out of the ground. So I think my gardening schools really right. came in handy there. <laughs> um, we've talked about a possible number three down the track. So that may or may not happen in the near distance. And, well, and- well, you
0: might not thank me for the story, mm. but my three was three and four. Oh, wow. So that's a whole different that's ball a whole game different of parenting, ball game. isn't it? That is four <laughs> under the age of six. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Mate, you need to write a book on that. <laughs> Have you? That, that's, <laughs> that, that's the one I've given you. I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't wait to read. Fat 40 and 5 in all yeah. good bookshops, as they well, say. Well, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe I, I look forward to reading that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be great. Thank you, mate. <laughs>
0: Your fourth choice on Five Mile. I just love yep. the way different people uh, respond to the format. And Jury, you like an epic. Your film was an epic. Your book is an epic. And you've gone large, right? <laughs> you've gone large, mate. It's not Avalon. It's Africa. Could, oh, we, yeah. could we be any more specific or are we sticking with Africa? Oh uh, Look, I've had so many great experiences
1: in, in Africa that I've I, I got to say, every time I go there, my heart just opens up. I love hearing the kids sing. Of course, we all love seeing the big five. I've been in, on, on a number of safaris. I think one of my first trips over there, I was, um, I was doing a documentary for Plan, a child sponsorship agency, and I was sponsoring some kids in Africa. And uh, we did a documentary about HIV AIDS at the time. One of the reasons and looking at the reasons why the new infection rate of HIV in Uganda had dropped lower than any other area and and what this big secret was. And so uh, we discovered that because there was no radio, no TV in some of these villages, right, it was street theatre. And they were doing plays about, you know, and, the, and necessity is the mother of all invention, right? And you look at the atrocities that virus has caused over the years and, uh, and the sadness that it's brought they managed to get the new infection rates down lower than any other country at that time. And, and it was really interesting. Um, so we went into the hospitals. I interviewed um, mothers who were HIV positive, um, a young eight-year-old girl who uh, had fully blown AIDS and um, and tuberculosis and had come from a village um, that was all affected. And it was street theatre and the, and they had just gone to these great lengths to pass on those messages to the locals to sort of, you know, control the issue. Yeah. And it was so amazing. Another trip I went uh, to, I, I got uh, to sit on the border of the Congo uh, for three days with 17 silverbacks. Right. Um, you know, another um, time I'd would i been there and uh, we were doing stories on um, some of the... Uh, architecture and the, the natural uh, uh, um, environmental architecture that was used to create some of the buildings in that area. I, I just I was there with National Geographic one year uh, doing a story on the last tribe of the Pygmies and um, and visiting a little village called Kasoro uh, It was just it's just such a rich country I, I love the food, I love the people um, but it also can be quite scary. I, I remember my cameraman was probably three hundred meters away from me. I had I had stuffed my money down down uh, my my sock and my my shoe there and wedged it down in the shoe, and I was taking photographs with a long lens camera. And um, there were a couple of fairly wild guys there that were drunk on arak, which is banana mm. banana juice in that area, right? And they were, you could see the wildness in their eyes, and they were sweating and turned around and he goes, You take my spirit. You take my spirit, you know, and, and you give me money. And and within about ten seconds, like there were twenty of them surrounding me with machetes. Right. And I thought, God, this is it. Yeah. I'm in Uganda. There's no one around. And my cameraman, who's about six foot ten, he he sees me and just starts running at them and screaming. And for some weird reason they just they all dispersed and I'll never forget that moment because it was like, well, you've got to be careful about going into countries like that. And we see this as just taking a photograph, but they see this as an invasion of their privacy, right? Yeah. And it sort of taught me to be a little bit less invasive and a little bit more discreet about, you know, because you, you are taking a little piece of their life and a little piece of their yeah. image. And, and And some of it is pretty hard to watch for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, that moment taught me to really respect whoever you're with, wherever you are and and take on board internally what's going on around you so that you can go back to your own country and learn from what you've experienced. Are you
0: uh recognized in Africa?
1: <laughs> My show did play there in in some of the, in Joburg and places like that, but certainly not out in those villages. And and that's that's why I loved getting out there, you know. I I loved I love getting into some of the small little places. I mean, one of the village I, uh, villages I went to, there were quite a few of them suffering from leprosy. Uh, there was another place I went to where horrible, uh, been wiped, the whole village had been wiped out by Ebola. Mm. You know, so we were all wearing masks, of course. And like, it's, it's real. <laughs> mm. it's, it's a gritty country, you know, and, and there's a lot of hardship,
0: but there's also a lot of uh, happy, happy, happy people. Mm. The, the reason I asked about uh, you being recognized is uh, one of my uh, other guests with the remarkable Brian Keenan, oh, you know, yeah. the guy who was poor bastard in, in a hostage in Beirut for four mm. years. Uh, I mean, incredible story, an incredible man. Yeah. So so no one's ever heard of him. And he's tied to a radiator, beaten, uh, just horrible for four years. And then he comes out. Mm. Um, but And then he wrote an amazing book and an evil cradling but when i spoke to him he said something that uh, has always stuck with me which is fame is its own kind of prison yep and you go mate so you've actually been in a prison i mean it was a basement tied to a radiator yeah. you are equating holy moly you're saying well that is a prison but trust me having paparazzi or whatever you go how how beautifully articulated uh, was that
1: statement I didn't make the choice to be on TV. You know, I went and studied horticulture and was quite happy to bubble away on my in my little store patio and and uh, and design gardens. That's what I yeah. wanted to do for the rest of my life. I had no plan of being on TV. So when I got the tap on the shoulder from one of Don Burke's producers, uh, who um, then I guess took me on to to Channel Nine and hosted Backyard Blitz and. God, I've done fifty-six TV shows, series th- around the world since then. Right, it's a lot of lot of TV. I didn't realise the uh, the confinement that would come with that that he speaks of, and the fact that you then everything you do becomes public knowledge. Your breakups become all part of you know the newspaper, and and your highs and your lows are all just laid out for everyone to see. And it's tough. You got to learn to have thick skin and unfortunately my my partners in the past have had to learn to have thick skin and and so is my daughter and 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 my kids you know so you really do end up exposing yourself and your family to a lot of press that doesn't necessarily have to be there but if you if you're clever enough i think and and Oprah has done this extremely well which is why i loved working with her yeah she has used her career and her fame in such a positive way and i watched her do it over the years and then when i finally got to work with her and met, met her i thought wow this is this is inspirational i love what you're doing i want to continue S- stop playing the victim jury yep you know fair enough take a punch on the chin every now and then and get a bit of pa- bad press or okay you had a bad breakup what you know at, but use your press in positive ways and, and create more awareness around positive things that are going on in the environmental sector, um, in in gardening, in, in, in all those sorts of facets that, that I'm passionate about. I've learned over the years to just deflect and let that thing, you know, wash off you. Tomorrow's the new day and use your profile
0: in positive ways. I, I really like the place where it seems that you are in, mate. You seem to be happy in your skin, where if you have... Done the work and owned a few things and are future focused and thinking about the contribution you're going to make. There isn't much that they can say if you let it wash over you that matters. It's a problem if you're a young man or woman. It can be devastating yeah. if you've got something to hide. So you've yeah. got you, you know you haven't just got your family in Avalon. You've got another one in mascot. Well, then you you constantly you know worried because they might they might spring you. But if you're living the life that you're living, pff, Richard E. Grant does something where he he will stand on a on a pavement. So, so perhaps he will run up to him mm. and he'll stand there and the, the, the of like a bit embarrassed He'll take a hundred photos and he'll still stand there going, have you got enough? Yeah, you, you know, no, that's the way to do t- it. Take as many as you want. Yeah. You know, I'm buying an onion. You know, do you want me to hold yeah. the <laughs> onion up? <laughs> you know, not, and yeah. then, then the pictures are, are worthless. You go, I know. right. And they sort of walk away. Yeah. So, so you go, and I love what you say about, you know, you know, suck it up, jury. You go. Lots of people give their right arm to have some of your good fortune. So so that goes, you know, it's yin and yang. Yeah. So I might get accosted in a shopping center with someone saying, I loved you so-and-so. Yeah. But I can also do amazing, your amazing work for charities and the environment. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I would have had the opportunity
1: to to get involved with the charities or the environmental work I've done over the years had I not have had that profile. So, um, you know, I continue to nurture that. Because I'm, I'm i I feel like I can that's become a tool in my little toolbox. Yeah. Um, that I can then wheel out to do all sorts of great stuff. Talking of tools. Yes.
0: You've brought one in as your possession. Oh yeah. Now I people did. don't know this, but he changed his possession as well as trying to change his book. he's a wild card, John. You're going you're going
1: you're gonna love this.
0: Now, describe it for our listeners who might not see it. Okay, so
1: let's turn the the clock back a few years. I was doing some environmental journalism for a Channel 7 show called Sunday Night. And uh, my amazing EP, Dale Padgett, uh, who's a great journo, travelled with me to Montana. And then uh, previous uh, to that, uh, I had done a story on climate change in the Arctic, and uh, dived under five feet of ice, almost lost my life down there. And I've worked with some of the greatest journalists of all time. And for me, that was one of my favourite jobs, right? Got to travel. I travelled through 13 cities in Ethiopia. But one story that really stuck with me was we were doing a story on on climate change and how it had affected, uh, how there'd been this increased attack on humans by grizzly bears At the foothills on of yellowstone national park in montana and you go well how does people don't often make the connection between climate change and an increase of bear attacks on humans but this is how it happened so with the temperature changes in in the us by the way 37 of the state flowers and trees have moved out of their state of origin Purely because of climate change, right? Because because we're warming up the world. Right. And the white pine beetle had started to attack these conifers. And because because the winters weren't cool enough to, to deter these white pine beetles. So, of course, the bears are running out of food, which are these nuts that come from the white pines. So when they get hungry, they search for whatever's closest. And that that is tourists in, in tents. And... I was. We were staying in this little town called Cody, Wyoming, um, and I I got to uh, experience this this incredible. I, 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 it was just shocking to me that I, everyone's got arms on over there. Right, yeah. everyone's packing a pistol, and they're all walking down the street, and it's just normal to bear arms. And, you know, God, you, 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 read the, you read these atrocities every two weeks now in the U.S. and it's shocking. So I walked into one of these gun shops and I noticed in the front, because it's just astonishing as a tourist over there. You walk in and it's all so normalised. Yep. And I saw these, this incredible piece of art in the front window and it was
0: this. This and beautiful so, so bow, right? This amazing. Jamie has brought it in. Thank you so much, mate. Wow. No,
1: no, I, well, I have to show you uh, the way that it comes together. Look so this at this. This is all hand-stitched. And it's a recurve bow, and it was handmade by a First Nation Indigenous American. Look beautiful. at that. Beautiful. Look at that, mate. Beautiful, beautiful. Out of several pieces of wood, and then, you know, the, the leather's been stitched, hand-stitched. Oh, it's fantastic. engraved. And that's the... There's, there's bone... Um, at the tip yeah. of each of each of the the pieces, and and oh, I I was always piece. an archer. I, I've always I've kept a lot of bows, and um, I love archery. And I saw this piece of art, and I just thought, oh my god, this is absolutely exquisite. And why is it sitting in the front window? Why hasn't anyone bought it yet? It was yeah. so inexpensive, and I th- I said to the guy, I said, I've got to have this. I'll take it immediately. And I and and he said, would you like to hear a story about where it came from? I said, yeah, please do. It was this wealthy man who had actually um, commissioned this First Nation American to make this recurve bow for him to hunt bears, would you believe, Right. which of course I would never do and have no intention of doing with this bow, but it's, it's a beautiful power. It's a 90 pound re- recurve bow. I mean, it's got some force on it and it took a year to make and he never picked it up. He never arrived. It turns out. He was flying his single-engine aircraft over to Cody, Wyoming, and it went down. Right. And he lost his arm. So, of course, hey. he can't use his bow. Right. So, I'd walked in, I think, two weeks after the accident, and there was the bow in the front window. And I get to be the lucky custodian due to his misfortune. So, it was very sad what happened to him. Although, I'm happy for the bears that there's not uh, another hunter out there taking down these gorgeous creatures. But... Um, but look at that isn't it isn't it extraordinary and it just reminds me of the i guess the sensitivity around not just what's happening over there in terms of climate change has no boundaries but also how precious these creatures are and that there there is still hunting going on that shouldn't shouldn't be going on and there's extinction rates are you know are, are catastrophic all over the world
0: anyway that's it's a beautiful piece that I keep behind the bar. Mate, you, you have. <laughs> I, I, I forgive you for changing your choice. I love it Thank when you. my guests bring in. I, I don't ask guests to, but it's it's just a beautiful piece, and I and I love the stories. Well, I do have an agenda, of course.
1: If the interview wasn't going well, I could use yeah. it on you. <laughs> um, and, I, and I've got the arrow here with me, so let's uh, let's see how the rest of this goes, <laughs> now.
0: Well, well I've, well, I've got a question for you. What is the kindest thing that anyone has ever done for you? Mm. I tend to travel through life pretty quickly
1: and I was working a lot in the US leading up to my 40th birthday and I had um, a dear friend of mine who's passed away now, uh, Greg Rapp, who um, was a a, a lovely man and we had a a very long, uh, great friendship together and he taught me everything there is to know about mid-century modern architecture in Palm Springs. And he um, very, very kindly gave up his home and I invited about 300 of my mates um, from (laughs) around the world (laughs) (laughs) uh, who all all flew into Palm Springs and we had this incredible birthday party, which was a, a 40th, and I think that was a really, really kind gesture. And on top of that... Uh, there was a, a a really well-known director over there who I'd been doing a bit of TV with who had gone back through all of my years and somehow found little pieces of archives of all the tele- TV shows I'd done. Um, the moment I met Barack Obama and Michelle and from my earlier years on Oprah Winfrey and had spent months and months and months putting together this amazing video and I think that whole – my whole 40th in Palm Springs, I was so grateful for someone that had taken the time to remind me of what, what I'd so far done in my life yeah. and, and, uh, and that was one of the kindest things. And I, and I never really got to thank him as well as I hmm. would have liked. Greg was um, such a selfless man and um, – uh, and he passed away uh, um, about three years ago now, and um, he was just so knowledgeable and we used to we used to do palm Springs Modernism Week, and we would go and uh, visit elvis 's old house and frank Sinatra 's old house and got to see I got to see so many things through his eyes, uh, and for him to open up his house, my friends and I will never forget it and it was not just uh, the experience that I had through this but the, the chance that I gave to a lot of my mates who had never been to Palm Springs and got the chance to sort of see a lot of incredible architecture and meet a lot of really beautiful yeah. people. And uh, it was it was a great time in my
0: life. I'll never forget that birthday. So I'm glad I asked. It, it, I forget who said it, someone far cleverer than me, but the, the real question is what do you do for others at the end of the day? Yeah. You, yeah. You, you know, once, I mean, if you're lucky enough not to be in an appalling war zone, whatever, but, you know, what, what, what do you do for others? I mean, it's wonderful to have those moments where... Other people get you to pause and reflect and and think and yeah. and then I I think it's an incredibly impressive journey that you have been on and you are on and you're we haven't got enough time to talk unfortunately about all the amazing stuff you've got coming up mm. um, but bloody more power to you mate and there's one last question that with your scatterbrain chaotic I saw a wonderful clip with Amika going it's Chaos living with Jamie, and like I, we, we, we had we had a book. I know three people that know you, and we were running a book on how late you would be, right? Oh yeah, and the average was forty-five minutes. And listeners, I have to say, it was only twenty. Wow, that, for Jamie time on Jamie time, that's early. He was actually early.
1: Well. I hear that for Jamie Oliver that's about two hours, <laughs> but he's done pretty well, hasn't he? He's a great bloke too. I had a beer with him in. in you're you're London doing something logo. with him
0: coming up, aren't
1: you? Oh no, I had a chat to him uh, a few years back about um, doing uh, a little a little show called Jamie Squared, which was you know garden no, I like garden it. and food. Yeah, uh, but I love what Jamie's done with his career, and he's a spectacular bloke. But and it, it kind of inspired me to, to, to get started on the, on, the, on the show that I'm filming at the moment. The, the
0: homegrown. Growing home, yeah. Growing home. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I have to say, so this because this I'm not trying to shepherd you towards a certain answer, but the, uh, the final question on 5 My Life is always, who do you want to hear on 5 My Life next and why? Here's your challenge, my friend. Okay. Got my pen. It's the very bloke we were just speaking of. Oliver? Jamie Oliver. Have you got his email? I can get to him, yes. Done. Well, that, well it's not my challenge, it's your challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you handled that straight back to me.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, No, he's a great man and he's done so much with his career and uh, and I, I am inspired by, by him and, and Oprah and a lot of people I've worked with over the years. So,
0: yeah, um, yeah it, I'd, I'd love to hear his yarn. Be good. Beautiful. Uh, Jamie Jury, thank you for coming on to Five My Life and sharing your stories, mate. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you follow five of my life, you might enjoy my latest book, Smart, Stupid and 60. In it, I write about a number of the issues discussed on the show. It's the 20 year follow on from my first book, Fat, Forty and Fired. If you have any feedback on the book or suggestions for the show, please get in touch via my website, nigelmarsh.com.